Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. And now that we have 280 characters to express ourselves on Twitter, that Judd gets a chance to criticize even deeper on social media. Brevity. That's what made Twitter great. I'm with I you. hate the new Twitter. <laughs> Mackie and Jeff. Get enough on Facebook. We get things rolling with the opening bell. Want to ring the bell? Drill to center. Buxton back, turning around one way or the other. Oh, what a catch! What a catch by Byron Buxton in center! Oh, my goodness. Dozier. Oh, what a snag by Dozier. <laughs> Almost a snow cone. A little flare into right. Dozier got half the baseball in his glove. A little flare into right. That's some foreshadowing for what we're going to talk about later in the hour. Yeah, very, very good. Yes. Um, so we have a couple things to dive into here in the opening bell, including some interesting Sam Bradford news, which we'll get to. In just a couple minutes, but the gold glove announcements came out, and as it turns out, Dave did hit on a write that down prediction. Hell it, yeah! At least two twins would win gold gloves. We thought Maurer would be one of them. He wasn't Let even go, a Dave. finalist, but uh, Byron Buxton. I didn't think he was going to Buxton, no surprise, right? Yeah, no, no, zero surprise. Zero. Best center yes. fielder in baseball. Yes. Brian Dozier, however. Um, I think we're all. I mean, he's he is one of the two or three best offensive second basemen the past four years in Major League Baseball. In fact, uh, if you if you go back to 2014, no second baseman has hit more home runs than Brian Dozier over that stretch. Uh-huh. Only Jose Altuve has more wins above replacement when you include all aspects of uh, of a second baseman's game. So mm-hmm. he's right up there. I kind of thought. Before I dug into the numbers, oh, this feels like a like an overall career achievement goal glove, which happens it happened with Jeter near the or end. Or an offensive, basically, if you're good offensively, you get the reward for your defensive right. play, even if your defensive play isn't outstanding. Right. So yep. that that's the overriding sentiment that well, Brian Dozier wasn't actually the best defensive second baseman in the league, and so uh, this is this must have something to do with his offense. Sure. To me, I think we're misinterpreting Gold Glove in some ways. Gold Glove doesn't just have to be the guy who prevented the most runs always. I think there's an aspect of flair, of you, of Rick Flair, of the of of the kiss dealing, wheeling dealing, flashy playmakers at different positions. <gasps> right? It's Gold Glove. It's not best glove. Right. It's Gold Glove, and there's a there's a flash element to it. All right. Did you know Brian Dozier made more? out-of-zone plays, according to Fangraphs, Mm -hmm. than any second baseman in the league last year. Mm -hmm. He made almost 100 out-of-zone plays, meaning like, you probably don't have to get to that ball, but wow, 
Brian Dozier did. Yeah, he's very good. Yeah. And in in the area that he does roam, he made only five errors. And I'm not a big errors guy, but if the ball is hit to you and there's all this other evidence that you're making out of zone plays and the balls that are hit to you, you're not making errors. So what you're Brian saying, Brian Dozier was a much more credible candidate than people were painting it. it as going into last night. It's deserved for Brian Dozier. Fair enough, but there's two. There are two continued misses here that make this award a complete joke. Eric Hosmer got the first base gold glove. Eric Hosmer? Eric Hosmer was a really, really good defensive first baseman. His play has dropped off. Terrible choice. The other one was the outfield for the National League. Yasiel Puig didn't get the gold glove, which I didn't realize until I saw some stories this morning about that. Yasiel Puig had 18 defensive runs saved this past year. The guy who got the gold glove, Jason Hayward, had the same number of defensive run saves in nearly 300 fewer innings. Okay. Okay, can we get... I'll go back to my thing about this. Look at you getting all sabermetric on this show right now. I'll go back to what I've told you, though. Judd. And this goes back to to the entire Maurer thing. If we're going to do this, can we get people to vote on this who care about it? It's not that hard now. The fact it's managers who I think defer to their coaches makes this a complete joke. There's a lot of eye test involved. And I mean, like with Brian Dozier, there's a lot of eye test involved. That he's he's uh, he's got a dirty jersey after almost every inning, right? And he's he looks slick fielding, and he's got that that offensive prowess. Mm-hmm. And so there is an eye test element. But um, you know, I think I haven't parsed through the outfield ones. I can tell you, Byron Buxton, eye test and statistically yeah, deserved not, both. Yes, that's uh, not close. Uh, Byron Buxton was a plus twenty four defensive run saved which is 42 runs better than Dexter Fowler, who was the starting center fielder for a World World Series winning team two years ago. 36 runs better than Adam Jones, who's mm-hmm. widely regarded for years as one of the best defensive center fielders, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Robin home runs. So I, I like to think of it for people who are a little bit on the fence about like these plus minus numbers, and they're not to be held as you know the be-all, end-all in gospel. But if you pretend like... An outfielder's defensive run saved. Yasiel Puig is a plus 18, like you mentioned. Uh, Byron Buxton, plus 24. If you pretend like DRS equals RBIs or runs. All right, let's just uh, let's take Byron Buxton's plus 24 above the average center fielder. And, and let's just tack that onto his runs scored. He'd have 93 runs scored instead of 69. With mm-hmm. 16 home runs, you look, okay, that's, so that's... Um, It's almost like in basketball. If you score 20 points per game, but you play no defense, uh, you know, plus minus can reflect that a little bit. Some of the win share stats, player efficiency rating, and that's why you go deeper. But Byron Buxton, eye test and numbers, absolutely the best center fielder in baseball. Provided his health holds up, uh, Buxton won his first of how many consecutive goal gloves yesterday? I mean, it's many. Like Kevin Kiermeyer is going to come back. Kevin Kiermeyer for the Rays has won a couple of them. Sure. And he's awesome. So they might trade back and forth. I say it's about 10. I say it's about 10. Because 10 would be if. Here's the thing. Because he's 24, right? Unless he moves yeah, to a corner right. spot, he won't win 10 in center field. Yeah, if you're winning, if you're winning a gold glove in center field when you're 32, 33, 34, there's yes. a. Your speed drops off by the time you're 27, 29, 30 years old compared to the other young, fresh center fielders. So if he's winning a 10th one in center field yep. in 2026, Here's it's why. probably unwarranted. Yes, but unless unless they change the system, he's going to be so good for so long that, that his last two lifetime achievement awards. Well, but by it then, might not be don't fair, you think, but, that's... but don't you think in 10 years, the fact that we're including 
defensive plus minus metrics now. We weren't doing that 10 years ago. Sure. Don't you think that's going to permeate even more in 10 years? It should. That you're really going to have not only fans and media that pay attention to these things, but but even more so the managers and and those guys are paying attention too, but now that's the thing about like if you ask a bench coach, what do you think the best center fielder is? If he's not referring to some metric of some kind, you can't possibly watch all nine innings of 160, you know, 162 you know who's games. Guardy. Oh, Guardy in Detroit, because he's going <laughs> to ask Andy, and he's going to ask his his boys. He's going to say, who should I vote for for Gold Glove? Yeah. Like, think about this with Byron Buxton. This is amazing to me. So Denard Span played a 1,000 innings in center field. Our old friend Denard Span, Not quite the same defensive center fielder or outfielder he used to be. He's in his 30s now. Uh, that's a wide-ranging outfield that can really expose you if you're not very fast anymore. Denard Span was minus 27 defensive runs saved in San Francisco, or, well, in all the ballparks, but for San Francisco, mm-hmm. which is really bad. He's mm-hmm. probably not a center fielder anymore, which is, like, once you get to your 30s, chances are Ken Griffey Jr., Andrew Jones, yeah. you should be playing some, somewhere else. It's a, it's a fast man's position. Byron Buxton at plus 24 was 52 runs better defensively alone than Denard Span this year. So think of all the games you watch and the little bloopers that fall in that Span allowed to go in for a single that, that Buxton caught standing up yep. or the fly balls over their heads that Buxton tracked down on the run that Span had go over his head for a double or a triple. Mm-hmm. Those added up, according to defensive runs saved, to 52 runs difference between the giant center fielder and the Twins, which helps illustrate why the Giants were a 90-loss team and the Twins made the playoffs. Can we go back in time? To when to when there was a brief period where Span was, was moved to right field. And we all said, Wow, this is really good. Your outfield's improved here. And Gardy said, No, no, no. Denard wants to play center. I gotta move him back to center field. So I can't do this to him. Can we go back to the great to, to the glory days of the twins when Denard Span's personal feelings about where he played was more important than, than the fact that your defensive Outfield improved greatly when Denard Span yeah. played right field. And you had you had the worst arm in baseball in Ben Revere trying to throw throw three hoppers to sec to the cutoff man. I can't help myself. Ben Revere might as well have just like ran the ball to the cutoff man have, from right field. Have fun, Tigers. <laughs> That's gonna be amazing. Uh by the way, Dan Gladden will join us to talk gold glove, to tell Rick Stell Mazik stories in about twenty minutes at nine thirty. Here's a very explosive play. It's a Is it a catch and is it in the end zone? Yes and yes. Bradford throws for the goal line. Touchdown, Kyle Rudolph. Well, it's been fun, but it's just about done. ESPN reporting last night that uh, Sam Bradford did undergo an arthroscopic procedure on his knee for what they termed to be a cleanup, which I still contend should have been done a month ago. Uh, but the the decision is going uh, going to be made at some point today. Bridgewater is going to be activated to the 53-man roster, Phil Mackey, which means that somebody's going to have to leave that roster. It will probably be Sam Bradford. Which brings me to this question. Bridgewater's coming back. Keenum uh, was signed uh, as your backup quarterback going into this year and has played well. If you had it to do all over again, do you think that Rick Spielman made the right move by sending a first-round pick to Philadelphia last year for Sam Bradford, who played in 15 games last year, 
one game this year and likely will end his Vikings career with a total of 16 games. Yes. Yes. It's I mean, if you're going to if you're going to use the result and then go back, if you knew the result, obviously you wouldn't have made the trade. If you knew that you were going to miss the playoffs and then Bradford was going to play in like one game Mm -hmm. uh, and then be off your roster, then obviously if you had that sort of foresight, you never would have made the trade. But at the time, Bradford was coming off a healthy season. Uh, Bradford was accurate, had a lot of upside. You had weapons that you thought could could help him blossom, and he did in the first five games. In fact, he had the best game of his career in week one of this season for the Vikings. So, you know, so, so their read on Sam Bradford was correct. If this guy is healthy, if we can keep this guy upright, he's accurate. There's a lot of untapped potential there. There's a reason why he was the number one overall pick. Coming off an 11-win season, your defense was in place. Uh, you had Stefan Diggs emerging. You had... You just you had pieces that indicated you can't just let Sean Hill start the year last year. So yes, a first round pick is costly, but I don't think the Vikings should regret it. I think at the time they made the deal with the information they had, there was a ton of risk involved because Sam Bradford has an injury history and that wound up burning him in the end. Uh, but I don't think that you should look back and say, oh, they made a mistake by dealing a first-round pick for a potential franchise quarterback. I absolutely positively agree. And and here here's the thing. If you want to criticize the Vikings, criticize them uh, for not being more prepared at backup QB going into last year, but even if you had come along and told me how the results were going to play out, I would have made that trade at the time. Given the fact that you could not, I still contend to this day, you could not go into into that locker room after Bridgewater got hurt and say, boys, we're going to roll with, with Sean Hill. It would have been irresponsible. It would have been stupid. Sean Hill would have looked around the room like, what? Oh, Sean, Sean Hill, have you, have you ever <laughs> seen in your time covering sports, have you ever seen a quarterback who looked more prepared to be a backup? When Sean Hill found out he, he was was going to start the Titans game, he was like, yeah, this will be uh, fantastic, and I can't wait to get back to the bench. But that trade for, for what uh, turned out to be the 14th pick, it cost you a lot, but it was absolutely the right trade. Now, if they had been prepared going into last year with a Keenum-like backup, that w- probably would, would, would have been the best thing because you could have rolled with a backup quarterback who you trusted, but given the fact that you did not do that, that trade, I think, is still a smart move. And yes, it cost you a first-round pick. That hurts. But it would have hurt a lot more. It, w- it would have hurt a hell of a lot more to watch Sean Hill try and start last year. Well, I think, if I remember right, the Vikings, it's not like the Vikings have had a ton of cap room the last couple of years. I mean, they've had cap room going into off-seasons, and then they go and they try to sign you know, defensive pieces or an offensive lineman here and there. So, you know, you're oftentimes you have to pay seven figures or you know three even three four million they had to pay like three million dollars for matt castle to be mm-hmm. their their credible backup a couple of years ago so uh there was nothing to indicate going into that final week of practice before the regular season last year that bridgewater wasn't going to be a durable 16 week starter nothing and then his knee blows out yeah so no regrets the Eagles obviously win that trade, and they dodge the bullet, and the Vikings have to figure it out and they now got with Carson Wentz, too. I know. So they upgraded their quarterback. They upgraded the I... durability of their quarterback, and they land an extra first-round pick. Other than the fact that they signed Bradford uh, to a three-year extension a year ago, March. Sorry, that's my bad. <laughs> and I, now, if nominated. Um, <laughs> and if nominated, I will play quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings. No, uh, besides, but besides that fact, the the Eagles. I'm convinced they knew something w- was wrong because now the, the Wentz pick in retrospect makes all too much sense, right? 
Like, they signed Bradford to that extension, and I don't know if they, they were trying to hedge their bets at the time. But then when you turn around and take Wentz, and Bradford plays all last year, and then mysteriously wakes up after the Saints game, I'm convinced that Philadelphia at least had, had an inkling that this was not going to last for long with Bradford. Yeah. Which, uh, they were right. The Vikings just need quarterbacks with sturdier legs. I think Mike Morris is onto something when he says those guys walk past the weight room way too often. Like Sam Bradford's Which, probably by not the way, pumping frustrates him to no end. I, know. I mean, it seriously frustrates <laughs> Morris. It's interesting. Uh, we'll get Dan Gladden on at about nine thirty to uh, talk about the Twins' two Gold Gloves. Maybe off-season speculation. There's a couple free agent names being uh, thrown the Twins' way. MLB trade rumors, and also uh, Rick Stelmazek passed away this week. A, a long time, long time legendary Twins figure. We can have Gladden tell some stories about. The 91 team and Rick Stelmazek. Last night, though, if it gets Judd to watch professional wrestling, Woo! it oh, must be damn great. good. It's fantastic. Uh, one of the great characters featured in a 30 for 30 last night. Let's talk about that. Uh, plenty more on Vikings. We have our Vikings over-unders and prop bets at 10 o'clock. Doogie with a scoop. Quarterback cesspool challenge. Mike Golick Jr., Mackie and Judd. Let's get back. Mackie and Judd are back on 1500 ESPN. Back then, especially in the early 80s, it was a new thing to be telling how much money you had. You would brag about how many women you had. I mean, you were really groundbreaking doing that, right? Where did that come from? The night before. <laughs> if I said it on TV, I did it. I lived my gimmick. He's truly a wrestler. Um, he's not a family man. Um, he loves his kids, but don't trust him. You know, I can't badmouth him because I love my kids, but they know him too. He just—he's Ric Flair. Right, what are you? I How want, good I is want that? your thoughts. So I've obviously been a huge professional wrestling fan. Dave has dabbled in his childhood and the Attitude oh, Era, yeah. so. Like we, you know, we go back with Ric Flair. Now, Ric Flair's heyday was the 1980s NWA before he wound up mm-hmm. going to WWF in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, like he became more famous as he went along. But in in wrestling circles, NWA, southern part of the country, the 80s were his heyday. So I missed those. Born in '85, but man, that was a 30 for 30 last night. That was incredible. That franchise is the best thing ESPN does, without a doubt. It's not even close. Um, I've seen a ton of of them, and I've seen about two two thirty for thirties where I'm disappointed. Yeah, that one last night on Flair though was phenomenally done. It well, was so he, it was so interesting. I mean, that was that was long, and I never got bored. I never even came close. In fact, I got done and said. I could have taken two hours for sure. If I not was the three. same way. Yeah, I thought I, I, it was an hour and a half, and I'm like, can we get another hour and a half of this? The storytelling. Uh, I think for, first of all, like for people who missed it, we're gonna play some clips, but go back and watch the whole thing. It's an hour and a half. Even if you don't love wrestling, it's just a great, almost tragic character storytelling documentary. I mean, Ric Flair, who by the way went to the University of Minnesota for a year in the early 70s. Much like me. Played some football. You and Rick Flair have a lot in common. You both drank every night. Very, very similar. Uh, How close to the 10 beers and five mixers every day for 20 years do you come to matching Rick Flair? I'm not going to challenge that. (laughs) I'm not even going to come close. Unfortunately, no. That was... uh, 
But I, I didn't re- realize. So he was adopted and then grew up in Edina. I didn't know that. So he, yeah, a lot of the the, the top wrestlers from the '80s, early '90s, a lot of those guys went through either Hopkins or you know different parts of the Twin Cities, University of Minnesota, uh, the, uh, Mr. Perfect, Ravishing Rick Rude. I could sit here and name a bunch of them, but hmm. Ric Flair from the early '70s all the way through now, he's still somehow alive. Although I don't know how long that's gonna. He's like 68 years old, going on 90. And if you if you saw him last night, he almost died three months ago yes. from liver failure. But he's basically been living as a fictitious character for 45 years. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I think in a lot of ways we probably try to hide our insecurities and bury it, certain things. But he took it. Not only did he bury who he was as a real human being, and just basically told his first wife with a kid or two kids, "I'm just not really feeling this anymore." I'm gonna go like he's been live like as Ric Flair four times now. Yes, yeah, but he's been living as a okay. fictitious character for 45 years. But what made that so good last night is they did in the time that they had, they did a magnificent job of explaining him. It wasn't surprising. I do get angry, or do when I do think about it, like, what are you doing, or why did why would you do that, or want to live like that? I think you could be great at what you do, and they're a good husband and a good father. How could you ever neglect your kids like that? So that's, that's, and having kids now, that's tough. My, I don't want my kids to grow up the way I did. That, that's, that's for sure. That was, that was his, one of his sons, David Flair. Another son, Reed Flair, died three or four years ago, but he spent 25 years, essentially the entire life and childhood of his kids mm-hmm. away from home, on the road. Not just working and wrestling 60-minute matches every night, but drinking and partying. Uh, there's a couple anecdotes. Well, there, there's one. I don't know if we have the clip of this, but there's a bunch we're going to play here. There's one where Jim Ross, the legendary play-by-play guy, Jim Ross, who's still around, does some stuff, does a little bit for the WWE still. And and they're on the road somewhere. They stay at some Holiday Inn. You know, just to, they're, they're on Those guys are on the road like 250 right. days a year. It's ridiculous. And uh, they roll into some hotel lobby bar at the Holiday Inn, mm-hmm. and Jim Ross is thinking, like anyone would, let's just let's grab a couple beers. I'll pay for a round. You pay for a round, and we'll we'll talk a little bit, and then we'll we'll uh, hit the pillow and do it again tomorrow. Ric Flair rolls into a hotel lobby bar, and this is like the late '80s or early '90s. Ten people just kind of scattered about, super quiet. We've all been in those hotel lobby bars where there's like eight yeah. people. Buys a round of 137 kamikaze shots. Yep. And starts like flirting with all the gals in there, the five gals who are in there, passing out the shots, dancing on the bar, and turns it into a party. And did that pretty much every night. This is a great story. I go to the sports psychologist. And so, how much do you drink a day? I said, I'll drink at least uh, 10 beers and probably five mixed drinks. He said, well, how many days a week do that? I said, every day. He said, how do you you mean every day? I said, I work every day. I drink a beer in the car, I get to the hotel, and I drink vodka. You came out of a chair like that, right? You drink every day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and you've been doing that for how long? I said, uh, well, let me see, it's 1989. I started in 72. Uh, you do the math, almost 20 years. He said, that's not possible. <laughs> said, oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> where this but, but where this show is so what, what makes that show and that series so good is this they do a magnificent job of explaining to you how the person got to the point that that they're at and they let the person chime in 
and they set up the ability for you to say, I have no idea if Flair is t- telling the truth on any of this, but I understand how he got there. What percentage of of what he's saying do you guys think? Like the fact that he slept with 10,000 women. I think he has the, no... I, I think it's all... I think he, in his mind, it's all true. And in reality, probably 10% of it's true. Oh, I think it's more than that. Dave, do you think it's... T- I think it's more like... I don't think it's 100. I think it's oh, more God. than 50%. I I don't know if I'd even go as high as 50. I think it's more than 10, but I mean, the guy's built a career out of embellishing. That's yeah. just... That's that's who he did. What he is. And the, the weird thing I found, or the funniest thing I found last night, he's equally ashamed and proud of himself. Yes. It's unbelievable. Uh-huh. He's He feels an incredible amount of resentment towards himself, regret, and he is so proud of Ric Flair. So he, at the very end... Spoiler alert, the documentary ends. And, what? And the producer, yeah, I know. It, the, the producer says, Hour and a half. how do you want to be remembered? You know, at the end of all this, how do you want to be remembered? When you die, when people think back. He yeah. said, well, uh, I mean, I think most people would like to be remembered as a great father, which I wasn't, or a great husband, which I certainly wasn't, he said. <laughs> so I guess I just want people to remember me. And then he starts to get this glean in his eye. As the greatest and most entertaining professional wrestler of all time. Mm-hmm. He sacrificed. And everyone, you know, who who I'm sure there's a lot of people in different lines of work that if you do rise to the top of your profession, you probably don't have the best relationships with your kids. Or But he took that and turned the volume up by 10. I mean, he the, the, the whole first 10 minutes, and we heard a clip from his first wife. It, they showed pictures of him as just Richard Fleer. Yes. Freshman at the University of Minnesota. Uh, they showed a couple early matches where a he's got sh- short hair. He's kind of looking kid. He's kind of pudgy, and yeah. and somewhere in there, he he decided he got into a plane crash in the mid seventies and in rehab for a few years. Mm-hmm. And throughout the seventies, as they're raising kids, he basically told his wife, "Yeah, I'm." Uh, she would ask him, "Well, honey, why don't you wear your why don't you wear your uh, wedding ring on TV?" Ah, honey, that's just that's TV. Oh, what do you really invite all those women back to the Marriott Hotel? I saw you on TV. Oh no, honey, honey, honey. He was bored with he'd go home and he'd be bored at home. Yeah. And so he'd get back out on the road and But he was a guy, but I, I but it it is it is basically on steroids the classic case of a, a kid who was ignored completely. And and was always it was always about how much attention could he get. And as as himself, he couldn't get much. As Rick Flair, people loved it. Rick doesn't love Richard Flair. I don't know that he's ever taken the time to get to know him or to find out who in the world he is. He only knows who he is through the image and gimmick of Ric Flair. Because when everything's said and done, you know, the nature boy Ric Flair is is just a myth. Spinoff from this that I think would be great, and it's alluded to right there and briefly, but could be an hour easily, the world of wrestling and how smart these guys are. So, like all, all some, the people. Some of them. Sure, sure. But I'm saying the people <laughs> the people that were talking about Flair, who got him help, and, and who basically who basically have their characters, but they know that, that they're characters, it is an intriguing world. Well, the ones you saw last night, well, Hulk Hogan, The Undertaker... Triple H and Shawn Michaels were, I think, the the four main ones that were featured last night, and those are, those are like you could argue that's part of the Mount Rushmore. If if it was The Rock and Stone Cold, if they had like a six wrestler or seven wrestler Ric Flair, mm-hmm. 
Mount Rushmore. Those guys would be on. So you have to be to be that good in a, in a line of work that includes getting on a microphone and entertaining and getting people to spend money. Like you have to be pretty smart. Now, if you go and interview, I mean, like if you interviewed Andre the Giant, he's probably I mean he's dead, sure. but he, he was just a big guy who, you know, could choke but, slam opponents. But the new, but it seemed to me like like the newer school of guys looked at Flair and said. Oh my God, that that is this whole thing gone absolutely crazy. Yeah, and those are like that last quote that was from Shawn Michaels. That's one of Ric Flair's great friends, and he's talking about him in this sort of shameful way. Called this, him a, a liar, right? Well, just saying that so he just lies to himself constantly. Yes, yes. So I don't know. There's more on that, but we should get back to this later. I think a lot of people watched that last night. It's super interesting. But Dan Gladden, when we come back here to uh, talk about the Twins Gold Glove Award winners. Maybe some off-season speculation, Rick Stelmazic stories. It's Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackey. He's not a drama queen. He's a dummy. <laughs> Judd Zolgad. He's already ruined the Vikings. He's going to ruin the Wild. He needs to stay away from Target Center. Stay away from the Wolves. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Real to center. Buxton back, turning around one way or the other. Oh, what a catch! What a catch by Byron Buxton in center! Oh, my God. Goodness. Really? Dozier. Ah, what a snag by Dozier. <laughs> Almost a snow cone. A little flare into right. Dozier got half the baseball in his glove. Yes, the uh, Twins with a couple gold glove award winners. We can talk about that. Uh, Rick Stelmazic passing away. Dan Gladden, how's your offseason going so far, though, well, sir? It's been going great. I had a good, uh, good last month. Uh, daughter got married October 7th. Awesome, man. Congratulations. Yep, got through that and uh, <laughs> just been out in the field a little bit, just uh, uh, enjoying nature out there. Awesome. Um, let's let, uh, we'd love to get a, a couple Rick Stelmazic stories from you, oh. just from, from years past. I mean, I'm sure you could talk about him for an hour, but just for the listeners who maybe didn't get a chance to know uh, a longtime Twins figure and coach, you know, what are, what are a couple anecdotes or stories you can tell us? Well, I think that, you know, anytime you, you talk to Steli and everybody will tell you, you know, kind of a mean-spirited, uh, you know, tough guy. He was, he definitely was all that. Uh, of course, it's well-documented about how he would uh, organize the stretch program that, uh, you know, you, you wanted to be out there. A lot of guys didn't like to stretch, but you'd like to be there to hear Steli talk about, you know, the countdown uh, as to uh, game time when the stretch is going to start. So. <laughs> Uh, you know, and that's still carried on to this day. Uh, there's certain times that uh, even myself uh, will sit in the dugout and, you know, it always got to seconds. You know, you'd always, you know, seconds, guys. So, you know, but Stelly was one of those guys, uh, anybody new on the team and, uh, you know, when they came over, Stelly would have to test them a little bit just to see where they were at, uh, mentally tough. Uh, or not, and uh, if you weren't, if you didn't have that mental toughness, then uh, you were going to have a tough time with Rick Stelmazic. But uh, love the game. Uh, had some great stories. Lived in some some great eras of baseball. Uh, so you know, I just think that uh, you know he's a guy that uh, is sorely going to be missed. He touched not only the players that came through the Twins organization, but you, you talk to the, the coaches and players from the other team that they. Yeah, he was kind of a staple for the Minnesota Twins. How did did he test you, Danny? Well, when I came over, I didn't know much about anybody over there, so I think I was being tested by by a lot of guys. But but having learned 
uh, and been able to, to see how Steli Steli works it. You know, yeah, he uh, he would test me. I would. Uh, uh, he handed me a pair of uh, wristbands because Rich Delmasic, everybody wanted to hit. He always threw to our group uh, batting practice, and Steli was one of the best BP pitchers that we had on the staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he handed me a pair of uh, batting gloves or wristbands, and he had the arrows pointing up, and then the arrows pointing down, and up meant. I was swinging for the gold, meaning I wanted to hit the home runs. Uh, he felt that uh, if you're a home run hitter, you got in a different tax bracket, which uh, you probably <laughs> did. But he, he just informed me that your game, the wristbands pointing down, hit the ball on the ground and use your speed. So when I would come out, sometimes I would have him up and he would kind of, okay, here we go, and uh, just have fun with it. <laughs> what does it say, Danny, too, about uh, the fact that he was with this franchise as a coach for 32 years? I mean, that, that type of staying power is incredible. Well, you know, it is. And uh, I was reading about, I think he, he uh, coached for, I think, three, maybe four different managers. So uh, to be able to kind of survive that. But, you know, he was a guy that, uh, you know, uh, great teacher of the game. Uh, you hear about some of the guys, what, what they learned from him in the minor leagues and uh, the preparation part of it, but uh, you know he also organized uh, spring training for a number of years. As to when you went there, uh, this was the program that Steli put together. So uh, I think it, it goes to show you, and part of that program over the years uh, has not uh, not deviated. It's still somewhat the same as to the program that, that Rick Stelmazic put in for spring training. Yeah. Uh, Dan Gladden hanging out with us here, Mackie and Judd. So we kind of thought before the season ended, the Twins might have a couple Gold Glove Award winners in Byron Buxton and Joe Maurer. And Joe Maurer, doesn't he, he gets snubbed from even being a finalist, which we all think is ridiculous on this show. But uh, Brian Dozier sneaks down the backstretch, and, and they, uh, they give him a Gold Glove Award. Your, your thoughts on the Twins taking home some trophies last night, Dan? Well, I, I think you're a little upset in, in Maurer and that I guess the, the, the metrics uh, indicated that uh, he should have won a Gold Glove. But I was reading today that I think it was uh, it's voted on the uh, coaches and managers, correct? Uh, yeah, there's. Well, I thought the eye test was in favor of Joe Maurer too. I thought he was. I thought he made big strides last year. But I am. But I am an amateur baseball viewer, so I'll trust your word on it. Well, I just think that there was a lot of good guys, uh, other guys out there. Uh, I think that Joe made great strides in this year, and, and, and I think when you when I look at a Gold Glove first baseman, it's how many times he helps out his shortstop, how many times he helps out his third baseman. Uh, you know, I think second base a little bit easier position to play than than the left side of the diamond. But yeah, I just think that uh, what Joe did, even though I think that uh, uh, Polanco had uh, maybe 17, 20 errors this year, that's a high number of errors. But uh, he would have had a lot more uh, if it wasn't for Joe over there at first base. But yeah, I just like the eye test. I think that uh, you find out when they make those plays, what part of the game, uh, you know, range comes into factor here, but. Uh, I, I think with Dozier, I think there was no question that Dozier's gold glove caliber. You, you see it uh, around second base and turn a double plays, his range to the left, to the right, uh, the ability to go out on a short pop-up. I think he, he has all that. Uh, I just think that, uh, you know, the, the, to me, the, the metrics probably don't show up in favorable for, for Dozier. Actually, you know, you know, so that's kind of the overriding sentiment that, well, you know, if you look at some of the metrics, Dozier is more either mid-pack or around league average. But 
There's one that goes in his favor. He made more out-of-zone plays than any second baseman in either league last year. So, like, if you're if you're just taking the flash factor and the fact that he can go wide to his left or wide to his right, he made more out-of-zone plays, according to Fangraphs, than any second baseman in the league, and that definitely matters. Well, I, I, I'm not too familiar with uh, the, the fan graphs and those numbers, but uh, that, that wouldn't surprise me that, uh, you know, that, that that would pop up like that. I'm not sure uh, what all goes in. I, I trust my eyes what I see on the ball field as to if I think he's a, he's, he's a good defensive player. It is tough, though, when you go in and see a team maybe only for, for five, six games uh, during the course of the year, even though you hear about uh, how good some of these players are. But I'm not surprised, Dozier. Uh, I think it was a lock early in the season that uh, Byron Buxton, uh, what he did the first two months of the season, they started already kind of yep. uh, doing that. And, and he, here's a guy that I think if you're a visiting team, you only need to see him for three games and say, wow. Uh, of course, you're going to see him on all the highlights and everything like that. But uh, he's just uh, fearless in the wall. And I was thinking about it, the fact that we've had – uh, Kirby Puckett, Torrey Hunter, and now you're going to have uh, Byron Buxton for a number of years uh, winning that gold glove out there in center field. Is, is he the, the the best in your mind, Danny Buxton? You know what? I, I told Torrey Hunter I thought that he was a better center fielder than Kirby Puckett. Puckett was, was really good. Uh-huh. Uh, Puckett could not do that Superman dive. He would always dive with his uh, feet first, similar to Eddie Rosario. Eddie can't do that Superman dive either, so he has trouble with balls coming in. Uh, whereas Hunter didn't, uh, Buxton doesn't, uh, and the fact that Hunter uh, and and Buxton no fear of the wall. Whereas I think Puck, you know, he played deep. You look at a lot of his highlight catches; they're all jumping up over the baggie. A lot of it had to do with the fact that he was already playing fairly deep. Buxton, the the amazing thing with him, Dan, is he takes walls out. Like I mean, he he oh. <laughs> he he play he plays the outfield like a defensive back in football. He initiates contact himself. You know, and that's how you stay healthy. I think that if you go in there tentative to a wall like that, uh, that's how you're going to end up getting hurt. As to oh, do I go? Do I stop? I don't know. Whereas he commits to that catching that ball early, and the fact that he knows the the, the warning track to be able to time his leap. To where he can he can get up there, make the catch, and then at the same time know, okay, here comes the wall, and to be able to turn in a position to where, you know, uh, you're not going to get hurt. Uh, you'll take most of the blow through your whole body rather than just one particular part of your body. Uh, what's on your off-season wish list for the Twins, Dan Gladden? Little little flamethrowing reliever. What would, uh, what would what do you want Santa to bring the Twins this winter? You know, it, it seems like every year we talk about the bullpen. And I, I don't think that uh, that's going to change any. Uh, I, I think that uh, uh, a couple guys in the bullpen that uh, throw a little bit harder, uh, curious to see what they're going to do in the closer role. Uh, and I would just like to see them uh, go out and get a, if there's a frontline starter out there that's in the Urban Santana uh, range, uh you know, let's see what happens with Phil Hughes coming back. Do they look at that as, okay, he can fill that free agent signing if he's healthy and be able to come out? Uh, uh, I just think that you need another frontline starter, somewhat frontline starter, and then, of course, a ton of bullpen here. And 
Uh, I think that Jimenez is going to be coming back, uh, same role as last year when he went to camp. So I'm not sure if there's that many uh, uh, changes in position-wise that the, the Twins are going to need, but definitely yeah. some, some bullpen arms. Right on. Well, enjoy uh, your off season and congrats on, on your daughter getting married, and we appreciate it, Danny. Thanks, man. Thanks, it. Dan. All right, guys, take care. Talk to you. Dan Gladden, a friend of the Mackey and Judd show over the past few years. What do you got there? Is that a fingernail? No, no, no. Piece of paper. Okay. Piece of paper that just fell off. Just just like staring at something, just drifting off. It's not a big deal. (laughs) Looks like a fingernail. Hey, can we come back? (laughs) Can we come back and talk about Twitter? I'm going crazy right now. They've ruined Twitter. Okay. I I hate this. I want to talk you off this ledge. I hate this. I want to talk you off this ledge. Okay. Hate it. Judd now continues. We return on 1500 ESPN. Show your gratitude this Veterans Day at O'Gara's with 1500 ESPN and CenturyLink. Garage Logical broadcast live from O'Gara's this Friday, the 10th, from 1 to 3. It's powered by CenturyLink. During the broadcast, all veterans invited to enjoy a free meal and 25% of sales will be donated to local military charity serving our troops. That's this Friday, 1 to 3. O'Gare is in St. Paul. All the details, 1500ESPN.com, keyword mm. events. Well, let me just finish this tweet. It's a little yeah. little just longer than going. usual here because they're giving us 280, 280 characters 280 now. characters. Why don't you attach a picture of your cat or your dog or your kids or something, too, so it could be more like Facebook. Can you Can you imagine trying to explain to someone 10 years ago, A, what Twitter is, and then B, how big of a deal it's going to be when they go from 140 characters to 280, and how mad Judd's going to be when I they do it. I don't understand why we couldn't just stop at 140. <laughs> Brevity was the key to Twitter. Yes, for let's me. just keep things the way that they've always been. No, let's no. just keep things. That's let's not, true. not evolve. You know, you know that I am not a keep things status quo guy necessarily, but in this case. As a guy who will use as many words as I'm given, being forced to be brief about something was a good thing. Well, 280 characters is also fairly brief. 280 characters looks like a ton on my screen compared to what I'm used to and what I've grown accustomed to and what I like on Twitter. This sounds like crotchety old man. No, have you have you guys? It ain't seen, like people are posting, you know, thousand word novels on I Twitter am seeing, now. I am seeing long, long tweets that are unnecessary. Like what? Like find one. Oh, hold on a second. Actually, here's yeah. one. I found. I one. found a Vikings one you know, earlier. Here's one. Way the, too the, long. You know the Yankees just tweeted. <laughs> what? Oh, this is great. New York Yankees. 2009, 2000, 1999, 1998, yeah, see, 1996, a... now all the way down to 1923. Wow, we've never we've never been able to do that before. Thanks, Twitter. See, this is what's going on here again. I don't want all this. 27. Yeah, I'm with you, Judd. Oh, come on. Thank no, you. I'm with Judd on this. Why? Because the brevity is the beauty of Twitter. Granted, it leads to some problems where people aren't clear with their message, and then you get plenty of drama. And, well, what did he mean when he said that? Well, what did he mean when he said that? Because cl- people can't clearly... Uh, articulate themselves in 140 characters, mostly because they're just not smart enough to do it. But is that why you never tweet? <laughs> no, I never tweet because, frankly, I don't find myself all that interesting. So I don't think other people are going to find me all that interesting. But the point I use Twitter for is, you know, you sit down. Hey, I want to scroll through for five minutes to yes. see what people. Now it's going to take me twice as long to do it. I have to. It's. It. I think Judd said it at the top of the show, or maybe uh, before the show. It's going to turn into Facebook. Well, that's what they're so actually. That I think that's what they're trying to guard. Uh, well, not guard against. That's what they're trying to protect. The the floor that's nearing uh, Twitter, like MySpace, reached a point where okay, Facebook's just a better version of this, and mm-hmm. it's less creepy, 
and there's less like customized sparkly profiles and so and there's just at the time there was fewer creepers mm-hmm. well facebook 79% of american adults use facebook so uh, it's like by far the most popular social media platform sure and even though we hate when our like crazy relatives rant about politics and show baby pictures and stuff like i think the proof is that 79% of people are active on facebook in america Twitter has dropped below Instagram. It's dropped below Pinterest and LinkedIn in the social media rankings. 24% of Americans use Twitter. It's like 32% for Instagram. Mm-hmm. So they're looking at this saying, all right, maybe if we give people a few more words to expand upon their thoughts, then they'll post more of those thoughts here instead of Facebook or linking to Facebook. And to your guys' point about brevity, 280 characters is still very brief. It's just that Twitter brainwashed you into thinking that 140 characters is like the only way to communicate for 10 years. No, it's because now we're going to double it again in five years. Yeah. We're going to go to 560. And all the riffraff is going to yep. come back. And At this point, you know, most of the riffraff, you're right, had moved on to Instagram and Snap and, and gone that, back right? to Facebook. Yes. I like that. Yes, I exactly. Want you Listen, we were I able... you out. We were able... Sometimes we get complaints from, from guests on this show. If we forget to include Doogie in the 140 oh, character mer- show team, mer- Complain that Mer complains day. today uh, for the first time. We were able to lay out with room to spare a very nice now, little show tease on I got Twitter. A question for you: Am, am I? Have we all gone up to to the new word count, yes. or are some people still? Because no, everybody I have is. not attempted to do a long one yet, and I will not. Whoa. I'm protesting. I think you should try. Run. I think you should. Try. I don't want the long. No, you can't complain about it until you try it yourself. No, you don't need the the key thing was people like me who tend to use too many words were forced to consolidate their words, which made it better. I had to edit myself, which was a good thing. But you're still. That but was a good thing. But, but Twitter, a hundred forty character limit that Twitter that, that Twitter started with in two thousand seven and stuck with for ten years, is an arbitrary number. Sure, it, it's like literally just uh, there's sure. probably no science behind it. It's just let's yeah, just, just let's just put a character limit because we want people to be brief. Right. So they're just taking the arbitrary number and okay. they're upping it to a, a slightly more verbose okay, arbitrary your, number. But to your point, what what this is going to do is this is going to get people potentially back on Twitter who I don't want on Twitter. So now so <laughs> like now your crazy uncle. So yeah. So now you're going to get more pictures of kids with long explanations. Well, no, 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 about, like you can post pictures now get, on Twitter. I understand that, but now you're going to get longer explanations because now mom's decided she's going to get back on Twitter and this is great. And I'm going to have two hundred eighty characters on my great family and I don't care. I don't want to. God, I don't want to know about so your family. Right you want now. me to start posting photos? No, please don't. I could do that. I got no. some really baby cute girl. Ones we on don't need phone. to see ba- baby oh, girl. Oh god, she was so cute I think, yesterday. In fact, I need to see baby girl. I think we should have uh, a, since Judd doesn't want to tweet in 280 characters. I think we should have a Dave Harrigan takeover of Judd's account, and it's just like photos of Dave's kid and things from Dave's. The Dave's the gonna dog co- could be in there. Dave's gonna microwave no. lunch here in like an no, hour. Yeah. No, no, don't do that. To a me. Dave takeover of Judd's Twitter account. No, in don't fact, chase me up. That can be a punishment for our quarterback cesspool challenge. Someone else on this show gets to take over for your Twitter account. So next time Judd loses, this will be his punishment. This is, no. Dave takes over his Twitter this account. A, I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> this is a terrible idea. Hey, you want me to start tweeting again? No, I don't. This no, is no, a perfect no, no. way to get I'm back happy, into it. I'm happy with you not tweeting now. No, you I've really, you've been pushing satisfied. for it for years. Yeah, but now I'm. I'm out. I'm out on it. Well, we've always had a two out of three majority rule on this show, right? For write that down predictions. So let's put yeah. it out for a vote. The next time Judd loses in the quarterback cesspool challenge, should his punishment be Dave gets to take over his Twitter account for a full hour on the show? I vote yes. 
I. Oh, that's two out of three, Judd. Sorry. All right. That's great. That's fantastic. I can barely wait to see pictures of Dave's family on Twitter with long explanations. Judd's well, worried that some Vikings players might unfollow him if the Twitter no, account gets already, to be too obnoxious. That's already happened. Oh, wait. Maybe I also get access to, access to Judd's phone so I can see if there's any pictures there that I'd like to tweet out on Judd's behalf. Actually, my phone is full of Another really vote? boring... I, I, oh, yeah, you're, you're more than welcome to. Bore, my pictures are very boring. Uh, Vikings prop bets and Doogie with a scoop all in the next half hour, Mackie and Judd.